And so, as we come to today and we come to looking at the scripture and where God is leading us through Haggai and maybe what Haggai was talking to the Jews about, the question would maybe be, what do you want in life? Because as we look at the Jewish people, as we looked at the remnant that was sent, as we look at the message that is going um, out to the Jewish people, that's really the question. And it's really the question in our life. What's important to you? What is it that you really want in life? And it really requires careful thought because we started in the beginning of Haggai saying we pursue things and we put money in bags with holes in it, we eat and we're not satisfied, we drink and we're still thirsty. We chase sometimes after the wind. And so God is really trying to do a work in this Jewish people saying, what is it that you really want? What is it that's really important to you? And you ever hear the, the story of King Midas? Anybody ever hear that fairy tale? Everything that he touched turned to gold, right? Well, you would say, well, man, that would be a wonderful thing. Everything that we touch could turn to gold. And he was granted that wish, but he ultimately found out that it was pretty hard to digest gold food. He found out that it was pretty hard to have a relationship with a gold person. Because everything he touched had turned to gold. He thought he was going to be rich, but he really found himself wanting. And many times in life we make those wrong decisions too. And King Midas, he had made that wrong choice. And how often in our lives do we make those wrong choices? But when you've got God's blessing, we've got it all. When we're really seeking after him, as we sang, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we're seeking after God first, we truly are going to be blessed and we're going to have his blessing. Now, you may be rich, you may be poor, you may be uh, healthy, you may be ill, you may have a lot of things going on in your life. You may have mansions or you may live in a little shack. But God offers us something that the world cannot give and that the world cannot take away from us. And so we need to put our trust and our faith and as we talked about last week, laying it all on the altar for him. Because when he has it all, he has us. And there's no greater place to be. If you lack God's blessing, you may want to try to think about what is it that, that truly satisfies in your life. What do you think will satisfy? The scriptures tell us in Psalms 106.15, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. See, there's sometimes in life we're pursuing things, but really what we find is leanness in our soul. We find wanting in our soul. We still have that emptiness. And we find it because we've sought after and we've pursued it, and God has allowed us to have that. Now it's amazing as we go through Haggai and as you go through quite a bit of the Old Testament, how often people want to tell other people what to do. The Jewish people came and, and the Samaritans all of a sudden they began to discourage and they didn't want the Jewish people to do what they had, so they wanted to change them. We found that throughout history the Jewish people were after their own pleasures and after their own ways and instead of taking the wood to build the temple of God, they built their own houses. 
And we read in the scripture that it says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is death, or its end is destruction. And so we can see these things through the Bible quite often, and I really believe that that's the message that Haggai, the prophet, is giving here to the Jewish people. The Samaritans had sort of laid back again. The, the time had sort of changed over 14, 15, 16 years had, had gone by. And things were different, and Haggai comes back. And, and so as we read today, we're going to read uh, 10 through 15 in, in Haggai. And it says this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Daenerys, Darius, excuse me, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? The priest, the priest answered and said, No. And Haggai said, If one of you is unclean because of a dead body, touches any of these, will these become unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with the people, and so it is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, and it continues on, but I want to leave us there. Consider from this day forward. A lot of us like to live in the past. Some of us like to live in the future. But God has given us this day where we live. This day where we walk. This day where we do the things that God has, has called us today. And so when we look at these messages that Haggai has given us in the way that I broke it down anyways in the first and the third message, they're sort of similar as are the second and next week's message going to be. They're somewhat similar in their, in their context. The first and third messages sort of rebuke and exhort. And the next couple uh, really are those of encouragement. And so God, in our lives, does the exact same thing. We are no different. There's times that he's going to rebuke us. There's times he's going to exhort us. There's times we're going to be encouraged. There's times we're going to be disciplined. There's times we're going to be stopped. There's times we're going to be pushed. God wants us, as his children, to be where he would have us to be. The first message told us to seek God's kingdom, not our own priorities. Right? They, they, he had called the Jewish people. They began to build the temple. And pretty soon they became discouraged. And they let it go. And they let it go for a long time. So when I talk about God's house and God's temple, we've sort of, or I should say, I've sort of directed this towards, now we are the temple of God. Right? He tells us we are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us. God dwells within us if we're his children. And so we can sort of maybe parallel some of this in our life. So is there times when we're not seeking the kingdom, but we're seeking our own priorities? And for each and every one of us, that's going to look a little different. What does it mean to seek after the kingdom of God? What does it mean to seek after his priorities before our own priorities? We live in a, in a nation, in a country, where everybody wants their own way. Everybody sort of wants the things they want. And that's why I think we see so much in the Bible where people are trying to change people so they're like them, so they fit them. 
Instead of worrying about themselves and doing what it is that God has called them to do, they want to change people. And so we see conformity, not necessarily conversion. We see this in the church where people say, well, if you look this way and talk this way and carry this version of the Bible or have this certain haircut or wear this certain type of clothing, you'll be accepted, you'll be okay. You're one of us. But that's just conformity. God wants conversion of the heart, and that's what he's going to talk to us about today. This third message shows us that we're not only going to seek the kingdom of God, or that we should just seek the kingdom of God, but we must do it from pure hearts. See, in the, the first um, series that we did on this, the first message was the obedience part. I've called you to do this. You need to do this. But here he's sort of clarifying it a little bit more. He says, it's not just so much that you're doing, but you need to do it with the right heart. You need to serve God, as the Psalms would say, with a pure heart. So there are those that, that come to church and uh, thinking that they're going to get brownie points, or they're going to go help somebody because they're, they're going to get this, you know, it's the scale thing. I'm going to do more right in my life than wrong, and surely God is going to bless me for the right I'm doing and not hold this wrong against me. But God says, by grace we are saved, and that's what he's going to bring us back to today. Matthew 6, 33 tells us, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's a song we sang. It was a scripture put to music. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That means our eyes need to be focused and trained upon seeking what it is that God has for us and going towards that first. Everything else should fall to the side. In the first message, we had this. God will grant true blessing when we put his house or his temple first. Okay? When we take care of the things of God first, there's going to be blessing that comes. This third message is very similar. Again, it says God is going to give us true blessings when we put his house or his temple first with a righteous heart. And I want us to really focus upon that righteous heart. The things that we do. You know, it's very easy to sit back and judge others. It's very easy to, you know, condemn the actions of others. It's very easy to be the director, the, the, the football uh, coach in the, in the chair, right? Armchair coach, is that what they used to call them? We sit down, and if you're a football fan, you can sit in that chair, and why didn't they do this, and why didn't they do that? And if they would have run this player, they would have run that play. But we're not on the field, are we? We're not making those decisions at ground level. It's easy for us to sit back sometimes with a critical spirit and, and get on others for things when we have no idea what God is speaking to their hearts. And so what we need to make sure in our life is that my heart is right before God. And the last I know, nobody can see my heart. They can see my actions. Last I knew, I can see nobody's heart, but I can see your actions. And so this is what he's talking about as we go through this. Why did this message come from Haggai just at this time? It's been probably from the first chapter to where we're reading now. It's probably elapsed a time of, of maybe two or three months or so since um, Haggai has been carrying this on in, in the length of his book. And the only reason that, that I could find, or the one that, from reading commentaries, that made the most sense to me was this, that first the early rains began in Jerusalem about mid-October. So they're sort of flocked from us. We get ours 
in April here. April showers, right? Bring May flowers. So we get our April rains, begins to soften the ground, moisten the ground. And so by uh, May, the, the farmers can get into the fields and uh, start turning them up and planting by June. But usually by the end of June or coming into July, the planting for the most part is done. Now we have a lot of technology today that helps farmers quite a bit, but pretty much that's how it goes. Well, that's how it went in Jerusalem's day. About October, mid-October, the rains would come. By December, they were done planting. And so they had all their fields in. And so when we look at this, there's going to be some correlation sort of the farmers. So if you've ever been a farmer or if you are a farmer, you might relate to a few of these things. But it says that by December that the work would be done by this time, uh, but there would be no evidence as to whether it's going to be a big year or a good year for the crops, right? So uh, for some of you that have farmed, you know that you, you would get your crops in maybe in uh, early June or the end of May. And man, that looks like a beautiful field, doesn't it? It's all plowed up, all nice and smooth. But you really have no idea what the future holds. You don't know if it's going to be a good crop or a bad crop. That's exactly what Haggai is talking through as we go through the 19th verse. He's going to tell the people that they don't know that yet, but he's got a message for them. Verse 19 implies that the seed was not in the barn. So verse 19 says, is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit, but from this day I will bless you. So he's talking to the farmers, he says, I, I see your, your barns are empty. You've taken the seed out and you've planted seed. God has called us as believers to plant seed into people's life. Right? What is the seed? What is the seed? The word of God. We're to speak the word of God into people's lives. And we worry sometimes as believers that we're going to offend people by the Word of God. But you know, the Word of God tells us that sometimes it's offensive to people. People don't always like to hear the truth. They like to hear what they want to hear. Right? When, I, when I'm in a debate about something or if I'm having a disagreement with somebody, I want to go find somebody that thinks like I do and believes that I do and somebody that's going to say, Oh, you're okay, Pastor. You're good. Don't worry about that. But see, the truth is not partial at all. The truth speaks to each one the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word does not change. The truth does not change. And so we are to plant that seed. Remember Paul and Apollos? One planted, one watered, but God gives the increase. You can do all the work in your field. You can go out and you can plow it up and disc it up and get it looking all nice. You can plant it just perfect. But it's God that makes it grow. It's God that is in control of the seasons. It's God that brings the rain when the rain is needed or holds it back when we've had too much, which we have lately, right? But it's God that is sovereign and God that is in control of all these things. And so, verse 19 says, you know, there's no evidence of these things yet, but yet by faith, farmers plant their field. Yet by faith, as believers, we spread the gospel message. We're not guaranteed that it's going to take root in somebody's lives. We're not guaranteed that everyone we share the gospel with is going to be saved. 
You know, one of the, the, the most precious things that we can do as believers is to study the Word of God, A, right? Study to show yourself approved. One of, our, one of our things that we are called to do is to study the Word, and the second is to share the Word. You know, I remember when I was first a, a Sunday school teacher, I used to study hours and hours each week because I had kids that were smarter than me in the Bible. They'd been raised in the church. They knew the Bible. I was fairly new and I was just grasping it all. And I would study for hours to bring them a 45-minute lesson. But I look back and those were the most blessed times of my life. God has called us to do that. Do we prepare ourselves to share the Word of God with those around us? Is there anything more important in our life to do? Is the TV program more important? Is weeding the garden more important? Or cutting the law? Is that more important than the Word of God and studying it and, and being ready to give an answer for that hope that lies within you? Hey guys, given this message. There was no evidence of the harvest yet. They didn't know. Verse 111 tells us it could be a drought, right? Back in, back in verse 11, it told us this. For I called a drought on the land, and on the mountains, and on the grain, and on the new wine. See? They didn't know. Was it going to be a drought? Was it going to be a good year? They didn't know. Would it be another frustrating year of, of sowing much and harvesting little? Verse, chapter 1, verse 6 sort of told that. You have sown much, bring it little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. He earns wages, earns wages, and puts it into a bag with holes. They didn't know what kind of a year that it was going to be. None of us do. But God assures them through his word that these anxious people, because they had put him first, they had put his temple first, they had... I would say today that they had put his word first in their life. They had their priorities right. But it says through the scriptures here that he could put them at rest. These people that were anxious not knowing what was laying ahead because they had put his temple first in rebuilding it again, he told them that he would bless them. Now I'm not a prosperity gospel guy and I'm not one that's just saying, well if you do enough good things God is going to bless you. But I do say when we have our priorities right, God is with us. And what greater blessing is there than to have God walking with us through the things that we go through? And I do tell people that don't have their priorities right, how can you expect a blessing? I don't say God won't bless. God may bless. Because God has blessed me many times in spite of myself. But I can't expect it. So he's telling the Jewish people here, get your priorities right. Begin to build the temple, not just out of obedience, but with a right heart. Because it was not just enough to really reconstruct a physical temple. Because God has never really desired a, a fancy building. I know, I know there's someone, they, they build churches, you know, they go way out and make it pretty extravagant. But God has really never desired a fancy building. He's never really even desired lots of sacrifices to himself. What he has sought after is the hearts of worshipers to be right with him. Why did he create man? 
Why did he send a son? Because he wanted that relationship with his children. I believe that there's nothing that pleases God more than when we have prayer time with him and we're communicating with him and when we're walking in his ways. I believe it brings a smile to his face when he knows that we're studying hard to share the gospel with somebody else, putting aside maybe some of our own preferences and the own things that, that we want to do. Because amongst some of these that were rebuilding the temple were those that maybe sort of had this scale deal going on. They thought it would be like a good luck charm. Well, I can always say, hey, I was part of rebuilding this temple. But God wasn't just interested in the physical building. God is interested in the spiritual building. So when we talk about the temple being inside of us, God is interested with what is going on in our hearts. A lot of the people that were rebuilding the temple at that time, their hearts were not right with God. There's a lot of people this morning that are filling churches around our country or listening to them on radio or watching them on TV whose hearts are not right with God. It says they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What does that mean? That means that they're making proclamations. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. But they're not doing what God has called them to do, and they're not doing it with a pure heart. They're not doing it with the right reasons or the right motives. Psalms 24, 3 and 4 tells us this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Who may stand in the presence of God, really, if you were to sort of modernize that? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart? Well, how do we get clean hands and a pure heart? Is it of our works? Or is it of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life? Is it submitting to God and allowing him to have his way in our life? See, we're strong people, we're strong-minded people, we're determined people in a lot of things, but a lot of those things are the wrong things. Do you love, Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Well, what are these? These are the things that get in the way between us and God. He asked Peter that three times, do you love me more than these? Do you love God more than other things that in this life that are, are distracting to you or your preferences or your ways? Are you coming to him with clean hands and a pure heart? Are you seeking after him with, with all your life? So Hagar delivers this message to encourage the people not only to keep working on the temple, but to work on this temple with a heart that is right before God. So I would say today, I need to encourage you to keep working on this temple, on your, on your spiritual life, on your spiritual walk, but do it with a heart that's right towards God. Don't be conformed and be converted to what God has for you. Outward religion is never enough. Wearing the title, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a whatever, I'm a Christian, is never enough. Outward religion is never enough for God. God looks on the heart, it tells us. 
He's going to look at our heart and see what is in our heart. And nobody knows what is in our heart except us and God. And actually the Bible says our heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know our own heart the way that God knows it. But God can look at a man such as David who committed murder and adultery and all sorts of things and say, but there is someone after my own heart. Because David repented and David wanted to be right with God and he sought to walk after him even though he had all sorts of things going on in his life. And so the second part of our, our verses today, verses 15 through 19, tell us this. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before a stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came in a heap of twenty ephahs, and there were about ten, when one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths from the press, and there were about twenty. I struck you with the blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day to the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? It is on the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day forward, I will bless you. He's talking about, hey, I want you to look back and understand that I tried to get your attention on some things, but you weren't listening. Haggai's message reveals both negative and positive. The churches today that just preach love and grace and mercy and, and, and that's it, just walk in this flowery field, it's not always there. God disciplines those that he loves. He's going to correct those that, that are walking away. He's going to deal with us. There's nothing that is hidden from God. When we do not put first God first in our life, this scripture tells us that he will bring discipline into our lives. And there's many other scriptures that support that. He is going to correct us. He is our father. It's like a parent. When your child does something wrong, you correct them. And it may be in different degrees. And it may be because of the gravity of what they have done, or it may be for a lesson that needs to be learned. And so as I looked at the scripture, and as I looked back at it, I thought about many things. What could it mean? What could it meant to these Jews to hear this, these words that said, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands? Man, that doesn't seem like a loving God that's, that's going to make things difficult for me, right? But he might have been saying, think back over the past years of your drought and your frustration. And you will see that your problems began when you set aside the Lord's house or the Lord's temple and put your house first. Back in chapter 1, the troubles began when they walked away from the temple. They took God's provisions and began to build their own house. They began to ignore God. He says, look back then, is that not when some of your problems began? The NLA, NIV put it this way, from now on, start thinking about the past and how your problems correlate to your neglect of God's temple or God's house. You know, when we look in our life, we sit down and self-evaluate. I'm not talking about looking at your neighbor. I'm not talking about looking at anybody else but you. When you sit down and you self-evaluate yourself and you are having issues and you look back, can't you find the place where it usually started from? 
I can't tell you how many times people would say, you know, I was going through some struggles and, and I began to drift away from church. Or I was going through some tough times or, or I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped hanging with my Christian friends. And life began to get worse and worse. We can stop and we can look back and, and we can usually find the correlation in those things because we began to neglect God in our life. He was no longer the most important thing in our life. Either way, the main idea is clear. There's a direct correlation in our lives between our selfish priorities and the difficult circumstances of the past few years. And he would tell us that. He would tell us that. Look back and see. When did your difficulties start? What triggered that? What happened all of a sudden? Now we do live in a world where bad things can happen to good people. And where it sometimes seems like good things are going on with some bad people. But overall as a pattern in our life, what are we seeing? Are they correlating to the circumstances of what we have done. We've neglected God. We've turned our back on Him. He is no longer the priority in our life. We have all these other things that we want to do and all these other things we accomplish and all these other things we want to see. And God is sitting there for when we have extra time. God's discipline is not pleasant. But it really is a blessing in our lives if we think about it. In Hebrews chapter 12. I just want to read a little bit through there as we begin to wrap down here. And it talks about the race of faith, okay? Our faith that we have, exhortation to faith and godliness. God doesn't just desire us to be his children. He wants us to, to be in a relationship with us. He wants us to walk in his ways. And it also talks about the discipline of God as we go on here. It says, therefore, we also, since there is surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. So he's telling us right away, you're harboring these little sins in your life, these things that you know don't belong there. Cast them off, let them go. Get them out of your life because all they're doing is slowing you down. All they are doing is ensnaring you. They're going to trip you up. They're going to tie you down. He says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Jesus, taking on the hostility of, of the world against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It says we have Jesus as our example, and there are going to be those that are going to come against us as believers for standing up for the truth, for saying no to this, for casting off those things, saying I'm no longer a part of that. There are going to be those in the world that are going to condemn you and criticize you for that, but he says we have Jesus as our example. And the world hated him. And he went and he died for them. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discounted, discouraged when you are rebuked by him. So it says when we're doing wrong, guess what? We're going to get a discipline. 
We can view this as a spanking of a child. He's not going to spare the rod to those that he loves. So don't despise it when God is correcting you because you need that correction in your life. And you're going to continue to get that correction until your life gets right with him. Don't be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Don't let your feelings get hurt. Let your heart get right. Let God do what he needs to do in your life. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scorches every son whom he receives. Sounds like some pretty rough words. But God loves you that, that much that he is willing to do that in your life. I've never seen a, a good parent that takes joy in disciplining their child. You know, we always have that saying, or we've heard that saying, this, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I think for a real parent, that's, that's true. We don't want to inflict pain on our children. But we will do what it takes to make sure that they walk right in the Lord. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you're walking in sin and God isn't dealing with you, maybe you're not even a believer. Maybe he, you know, you don't have that relationship with him because if he loves you and you're his child, he is going to do what it takes. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more um, readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days and chastened us as seemed best for them but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness so he's telling us when he corrects us he's trying to make us holy as he is holy when God is dealing with you with something it's not to punish you it's not to hold you down it's not to take away your crops or your 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 wheat or whatever it is that Haggai is talking about but it's to make you holy it's a refining process the, the, the material needs to go in and be cooked for the gold to come out. And it's called a refiner's fire. And going through the fire is not always pleasant, it's not always easy. But the end result is wonderful. And so it says that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you allow God to train you? Do you allow God to mold you and make you into what you need to be? Do you accept his discipline or are you still that rebel of a teenager that's going to stand up and fight and say, I don't agree and this is what I want? God loves you enough that he wants you to be right with him. And everything he does is for the end result that we can be holy as he is holy. We can't do it of ourselves. I have no power to be holy within myself or righteous within myself. I cannot change my own heart. Only God can do that. But we invite him in and we say, have thine own way. We sing that song as well. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. See, we allow God to do what he needs to do. 
Sometimes sin will stem directly from sin in our life. You may have a sin going on in your life right now that you know doesn't belong there, and sometimes that, that discipline is going to be a direct result of that sin in your life that's going on now. You have a choice. You deal with that sin or you continue to be in rebellion against God. Discipline can also be for future learning. So when we raise our children, sometimes we give them chores. Because why? We're trying to develop character, all right? You got to do this because it's de developing discipline in your life. It's developing character in your life. You're learning to be responsible in your life. So discipline can have two things going on. You know, I can have the child that disobeys, and therefore you've lied and, and you've cheated and you've done something, and so there's a consequence for that. But there could also be the discipline that says you need to do this. Because there's a lesson to be learned through all this. And I want you to grow in God's grace and God's mercy and to be more like Him. We generally don't learn much from God when things are going good in our life. When we're in the land of prosperity and when we have no need for things and everything's going well, we're really not learning much from God then, but we do learn when we're in the valleys. When there's nowhere else to turn but to turn to Him, and that's what is happening in Haggai. He's shown them you have been without me for so long. Come back to me. But don't come back to me just to build the temple. Come back to me with the right heart. Come back to me with the clean hands. Come back to me because I care for you. As sinners, God says the same thing. Don't just stop it in your life because you, you, you think that, you know, it's not good. Stop it because you know it's sin. Stop it because you know it's not right. Stop it because you know that, that something is going on. James spends almost a, a whole book talking about the tongue, the words that we say to one another. So it's words, it's actions, it's all sorts of things that go on. In the case of the Jews here, the frustrations and hardships that they had been experiencing through all this time were due to their neglect. Are you going through something in your life? Maybe you've been neglecting your spiritual life with God. You're neglecting being right with Him. You're neglecting the pure heart. You're neglecting walking in His ways. You're harboring sin over what you know God has for you. It's what it was for the Jews. Whether deliberate or inadvertent, they were suffering because of that. That's why God says examine yourself. To make sure you're in the faith. Examine yourself to make sure that you are where you need to be. They had slipped into wrong priorities. And I say slipped into because a lot of times it's just easy to get into that. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there, and pretty soon we're in over our head. Whatever, they had slipped into the wrong priorities, putting their own pleasure, their own comfort, their own ways, their own thoughts ahead of God's. And he said, this needs to stop. But next week we have a, a great verse because he's an encouraging God. The nice thing about God is he doesn't discipline, just leave us there, but he always shows us the way. He shows us the hope. He shows us the love of all the things that we need in our life and how to do it. And that we don't do it of our own strength or our own power, but we do it of his. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, again for your word. You are magnificent. We thank you for lessons learned. We thank you, Lord, for discipline in our life. We thank you, Lord, for blessings in our life. 
We even thank you for the trials because we learn through everything. And Lord, no matter what it is that we go through, may our eyes be fixed upon you. May we, may we see your hand at work in our life. Lord, help us to take our eyes away from others and onto ourselves. Lord, we can watch the news and it's hard to be critical of a lot of things that are going on in the world today. But Lord, help us to be who we need to be. Because one life can change the lives of others. And many lives change can change this world. Father, we also just pray as we heard the sirens, not sure what's going on, but Lord, we, we pray for that situation, whatever it would be. Lord, be with those that have responded for fire health. Lord, be with families that, that may be impacted through this also. But Lord, lead us through the rest of this day. We thank you for the blessing, Lord, that you have given us a gathering together here today. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.